The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 85, to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. Selah. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. We're in Deuteronomy 3, it's verses 12 through 20. This is entitled, Until the Lord Has Given Rest. And this land which we possessed at that time from Aurora, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argov with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argov, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Maacathites, and called Bashan after his own name, Havot Jair, to this day. Also I gave Gilead to Machir, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river as the border as far as the river Jabok, the border of the people of Ammon. The plain also with the Jordan at the border from Kinneret as far as the east side of the Sea of the Aravah, the Salt Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities which I have given you until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. The words of this passage speak of possessing land, the division of the land, and the possession of other land by the rest of Israel at a future point. However, there is a difference between the land given to those on one side of the Jordan and those on the other. It's not really apparent at first, but the difference is there. We will see that, especially as we look over the final three verses of our passage today. In fact, it is so hard to notice on a cursory or even on a very close reading that our minds tend to skip right over the subtlety of what is being conveyed. 
It is, however, something that is reflected in the words of Paul to the Ephesians in a roundabout way. He is speaking to the Gentiles, but what he says pertains to what is tucked away back here in Deuteronomy. His words of Ephesians 2 form our text verse today. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, and that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul speaks of the covenants of promise, but more exactly, the Greek reads, diathikin tis ipangalias, the covenants of the promise. The word covenants is plural, while the promise is singular. The law is not of promise, and the inheritance is not of the law. Paul explains that in Galatians chapter 3. Therefore, the covenants of the promise, though maybe inclusive of the law, are not directed by the law. The law is simply a covenant which leads to the promise, hopefully for those under it. I say hopefully because Paul also explains that the law was simply given as a tutor to lead people to Christ. It does not, however, automatically do so. In fact, the law is one of the greatest hindrances to a relationship with Christ if it is used as a means of earning God's favor through personal merit, something which excludes grace. The law is supposed to show us that we need grace, not that we can obtain favor through it. This same thought is seen in our verses today. As I said, it is so well hidden in there that it will take a marvelous little pattern, an unusual literary form, to draw out what is actually being conveyed. Such interesting things as different types of literary forms are used by God to teach us wonderful lessons right out of his superior word. And so, let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is the land east of Canaan. It's verses 12 through 17. Verse 12, in this land which we possessed at that time. The words of Moses now return to the thought left off in verse 310, where verse 11 was a descriptive insert. From 3.8 through 10, it spoke of the conquest, and now it speaks of the result of that conquest. The division of the land, which was won in battle, is now described. It says they possessed the land. The word speaks of an inheritance. Up until this point in chapter 3, Moses has used two words, lakad and lakach, saying they took and they captured the lands. Now it says yarash. It is the result of the seizing of the land. It has become an inheritance. These two Amorite kings were disinherited from the land, and Israel took possession of it, Thus, it became the inheritance of Israel to be passed on from then on. That was originally recorded in great detail in Numbers 32. Reuben and Gad came forward to petition Moses for the land because of its suitability for livestock. And they had a great deal of livestock. After obtaining assurances from them that they would assist Israel in securing their own possessions, Moses agreed to grant them this land. That grant extends, verse 12 continues, from Aror, which is by the river Arnon. As has been seen, aurora means stripped, bare, or naked. The noun meaning river is nahal, and it implies a wadi which flows during the times of rain. The word is from the verb nahal, which speaks of obtaining an inheritance or possession. 
Arnon comes from, as we have seen in a couple sermons already, the word Ranan, which signifies to give a jubilant ringing cry and thus rejoicing. From that point, and with the Arnon as the boundary, verse 12 continues, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities. As elsewhere, the Hebrew is singular, mountain, and Gilead is prefixed by an article, the Gilead. Gilead means perpetual fountain. Included in this tract of land were the many cities which had been conquered by Israel. Other than any damage incurred while being besieged, they remained intact. Thus, they were to profit off the labors of those defeated in battle. All these, verse 12 continues, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. All of this is the southern area of the land conquered by Israel outside of Canaan proper. This was specifically recorded in Numbers 32, verse 33, along with a separate inheritance. Here it says, So Moses gave to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders, the cities of the surrounding country. It is the half-tribe of Manasseh spoken of there that Moses now recounts the details concerning their grant. Verse 13, the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og. This is the northern portion of the land which was conquered. It included everything remaining of the Gilead and also of all of the Bashan or place of fertile soil. If you saw Sergio and Rhoda's video this past week, they just put it out. It is marvelous. That is the area that is being talked about right now. If you haven't seen it, go home and watch it. Moses describes that as the kingdom of Og. He was disinherited from the land, and Israel received the land for an inheritance. Moses specifically says, verse 13 continues, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh. The reason for this land grant was explained in Numbers 32. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it, and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Havot Jair. Then Nobah went and took Kenat and its villages, and he called it Nobah after his own name. That region is next further described by Moses. Verse 13 going on. All the region of Argov with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. As we saw in the previous sermon, Argov means stony. The words of this clause are difficult. The word translated as region was introduced in verse 3, 4. It speaks of a measuring cord, which would be used to define a specific parcel of land. Thus, region of the Argov is not different from Al-Bashan, but it is the same thing. This is certain because the word Argov is prefixed by an article in this verse. Therefore, a literal translation would say, all of the region of the Argov, namely, all the Bashan, the that was called Land of Rephaim. It is a descriptive record of what had been and which now belonged to the tribe of Manasseh. The Rephaim, the great and tall race of people, were subdued by Israel outside of Canaan. Therefore, the battles inside of Canaan would not be the difficult task their fathers claimed that it would be a generation earlier. By faith in the Lord, the possession would be theirs. Verse 14, Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argov. These words are an expansion of what we just read a moment ago from Numbers 32. Jair, or Yair, means he enlightens. It is he who is specifically given credit for having defeated the entire region known as Argov. 
This region is then explained as reaching, verse 14 continues, as far as the border of the Gesherites and the Maakathites. The name Gesher comes from an unused root meaning to join. Thus it may mean bridge. They may have been located at a spot which forded or bridged the Jordan. Maaka comes from a verb which means to press or squeeze. Thus the name signifies oppression. These people groups would border the land given to Manasseh. Jair took the region, verse 14 continues, and called Bashan after his own name, Havot Jair, to this day. The difficulty of the previous verse seems to be taken away in this verse, and a new difficulty is introduced. First, the region known as Argov is the same as the Bashan. It is the entire region that Jair called after himself, Havot Jair. The word Havot is the plural of the name Chava, or life. It is the same name as Chava, or Eve, Adam's wife. It is often translated as the towns of Jair, probably because a town or city is where the bustle of life occurs. Thus, we could paraphrase this as the livings of Jair. Secondly, the new difficulty is that the words unto this day are claimed by numerous scholars to indicate that this is a later insertion into the book of Deuteronomy. There is absolutely no reason to assume this. Though it may seem odd for Moses to say this only a few months after the land was subdued, it is as simple as saying, he called the cities he defeated by this name, and I have now formally given him the land, and the name shall remain according to his decision. The same expression, ad hayom hazeh, has already been used in verse 222, and there is absolutely no reason to assume that was an insertion. Verse 15, also I gave Gilead to Machir. Before I go on, I get very angry when scholars try to insert things into the Bible that should not be inserted into the Bible, or say that this isn't written by Moses or whatever. The Bible is written as it is claimed to be, and there was nothing later inserted. Verse 15 again, also I gave Gilead to Machir. This was cited from Numbers 32, and when we looked at verse 13, Machir is specifically given to Gilead. Machir means something like salesman. To him is given the Gilead or the perpetual fountain. Machir is named here even though he is dead. He was the firstborn son of Manasseh, which is recorded in Joshua 17 verse 1, through his Syrian concubine, which is found in 1 Chronicles 7 verse 14. And he stood as representative of Manasseh on this side of the Jordan. Thus, the northern half of Gilead was given to him, meaning his descendants. In these words, we have a marvelous picture of Israel's conversion, which is still ahead in redemptive history. Here we go. Jair means he enlightens. Manasseh means he shall forget. Argov means stony. Bashan means place of fertile soil. Havot Jair is the livings of he enlightens, and Gilead is the perpetual fountain. Christ, or he enlightens, the son of he shall forget, speaking of forgetting the sins of Israel, shall have the victory over the stony hearts of Israel, meaning Ezekiel 36, 26, in the place of fertile soil, signifying their readiness to receive Christ, and will afterward call them the livings of he enlightens. They will dwell in the illumination of Christ, and they will possess the perpetual fountain, the water of life that will issue forever forth from the throne of God. There's no reason at all to assume that this is stretching the picture. The names are set, they are given, and they perfectly fit the typology of what has thus far been presented in the Numbers and now Deuteronomy account. 
Next, as was seen in verse 312, and which is now expanded on here, Moses says, verse 16, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave from Gilead. This is the northern border of the land of Reuben and Gad. Where the land of Machir, the son of Manasseh, ended is where the land of Reuben and Gad would begin. That would extend south to, verse 16 continues, as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river as the border. There is minute, almost tedious specificity here, adding to what has already been stated. When I'm doing the sermon 10 weeks ago, I'm thinking, why is it so specific? There's a reason. It speaks of the middle of the river Arnon, something which seems almost superfluous. But the reason for this is what is said in verse 236. From Aurora, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine, as far as Gilead. There was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. Because this city of the Moabites was located in the middle of the ravine, Moses is saying that the land, even to the middle of the river, belongs to Israel, but it does not include the whole river and ravine. Israel was given no land. Remember, it was very specific, not one footstep of land of the Moabites, and this is now confirmed by Moses. This is the southern border of their land, and it is based on a wadi which flows down from the mountains of Moab to the west and ends about the middle of the Dead Sea, just across from En Gedi. So if you've ever been to En Gedi, you can say, I looked across there. That is what this is speaking of. So far, the northern and southern borders have been named, and the western border is obviously the Jordan and the Dead Sea. All of this land then extended, verse 16 continues, as far as the river Jabok, the border of the people of Ammon. The Jabok River flows north and south for some distance and eventually flows west. This river today is known as the Zarka River in Jordan. It was to be the border between the Ammonites and Reuben and Gad. There are water rights on two sides of this land grant between Israel and Moab and Ammon. But with a city in the very ravine of one of the borders, the specificity of this verse had to be stated. Instead of being either superfluous or a later addition, it is an absolutely necessary part of the words of Moses. Verse 17, the plain also, with the Jordan as the border. The Arava, or plain, is the flat land that ran on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The plain right up to the Jordan belonged to them. But the Jordan itself is the border of their land, with Canaan on the other side. Next it says, verse 17 continues, from Kinneret. Kinneret is the Sea of Galilee. The name Kinneret comes from Kinnor, meaning a type of harp. The reason for the name is the shape of the sea, which looks like a particular type of harp when viewed from above. This would be the northwest corner of their land. That western border would then extend from there southwards. Verse 17 continues, as far as the east side of the Sea of the Arava, the Salt Sea. This is the western border as it extends southward. It would go all the way down along the Jordan and end about halfway down the Sea of the Arava, meaning the Salt Sea, where it would terminate in the middle of the Arnon River. Verse 17 continues, below the slopes of Pisgah. Here's a new word, Ashedah, translated as slopes. The word comes from Eshed, signifying a foundation or a bed, but that comes from a word signifying an outpouring. Therefore, it either means springs or slopes. Some translations choose springs. Some translations say slopes. Pisgah or ha Pisgah, meaning the Pisgah, signifies a cleft. It is a high area where there is a cleft in the mountain. Because of this, the word slopes seems to make more sense than springs. 
It is this spot, Pisgah, which is on Mount Nebo, from which Moses will survey all of the land of Canaan before he dies. O weary soul, there is a fountain of life waiting for you, if you will just come to him and receive the gift. There are nail-scarred hands of the one faithful and true, and in taking them, your spirit, he will lift. It is he who descended from heaven to give us life. He walked among us and provided the way. No more enmity with God, no more strife. In coming to him, there dawns a new day. After his walk, he died on Calvary's tree and descended to the lowest parts our debt to pay. By God's power, he was raised justification for you and for me. And now through him, we are provided the way. Our second thought today is unpacking a mystery. It's verses 18 through 20. Verse 18, then I commanded you at that time saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. The words of these next three verses are very precise and speak in a rather remarkable way of promises, possession, and performance. But they are almost mysterious when looked at and considered carefully. While typing up this sermon, I realized that there is a decidedly chiastic structure to these next three verses. If you don't know what a chiasm is, I've found many of them in the Bible. Some of them actually span the entire flood of Noah. I mean, they're, they're marvelous to see. I've found some that span books of the Bible. But a chiasm is something that says something, and then somewhere else it says the exact same thing, and then it says the same things in between, matching all the way to what's called an anchor verse. What does God want you to focus on? There's not always an anchor verse, but there normally is, but it is a pattern which goes in an X pattern, hence the name chiasm, because key is the Greek letter X. Chiasm is where you get the name. All right, so this is from Deuteronomy 3, verses 18 through 20. I entitled this, Much Livestock. It is a chiasm of contrasts. I typed this sermon, as you can see, on 23 March of 2020, the day I found the chiasm. A, then I commanded you, commanded you at that time, saying, this is Moses' command, go to the last part of the chiasm, then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you, Moses' command. The next one is B, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess east of the Jordan. B, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan, west of the Jordan. C, all your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren. C, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you. He's given rest in both. All right, then you have D, but your wives, your little ones, and your livestock needing security. D, shall stay in your cities, which I have given you, given security. X, the anchor verse, I know that you have much livestock. Do you remember that sermon? The sermon was detailing livestock again and again, and we discovered why that was at that time. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Sometimes before I go on, a chiasm will say exactly the opposite It'll say the same thing, but in the opposite. You're handsome, you're ugly, you're strong, you're weak. And that would be a chiasm of contrasts. This is a chiasm somewhat like that, but it also has similarities. With the division of the land east of the Jordan settled, Moses now recalls the agreement made in Numbers 32 concerning the land, which has been divided up as mentioned here. This division, despite being settled according to set boundaries, will actually only take full effect after Canaan is subdued and with these tribes having participated in that seven-year conquest. A clue to the mystery presented in these verses is actually the first words of them. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, it is Moses who commanded. 
Moses is the lawgiver, and thus he represents the law. Understanding that, the words, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess, are conditional. That is based on what was stated in Numbers 32, verses 29 and 30. And Moses said to them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. In Numbers 32, English translations say all your armed men or every man. But the Hebrew does not say this. Instead, the Hebrew was carefully hyphenated, if you remember that sermon, and said, every armed. That precise wording was necessary to show that not all men would go. Rather, only every man that was to go was to be armed. Moses was specific, because otherwise, after he died, a dispute could arise that he intended for every man to go, thus leaving the women and the children to build and defend the cities, and it would immediately force these tribes to give up this land grant. Instead, though, some would stay while others will go to battle. After the faithful service of these men drawn off from the hole, they would then have earned their right to return and possess with their brothers the homes and lands which had been tended to during their time of war. Those very specific words are now qualified by Moses. Verse 18 continues, all you men of valor shall cross over arm before your brethren, the children of Israel. The order of the Hebrew is more specific. It says drawn off, you shall cross over before your brothers, the sons of Israel, all men of valor. Actually, only a portion of the men crossed over about 40,000 battle capable men out of almost 111,000 battle capable men. They would be drawn off from the whole. Further, these who are drawn off were to be Bene Chayil, or sons of valor. The army would be selected based on several requirements. Here, it is specifically noted concerning their willingness and their ability to wage war. This will be more specifically defined, however, later in Deuteronomy chapter 20. When we get there, we will see several reasons for being exempt from warfare, including this from Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. No cowardly person was to serve in the army, because when he turned and fled, it was bound to be that another, and then another, and then another would follow suit. Just as bravery leads to bravery, so cowardice leads to cowardice. Every night I try to watch one episode of Boz's Battles on YouTube. A guy named Boz, B-A-Z, he highlights battles all the way throughout human history. He does them in Japan. He does them in England. He does them in Germany. He does them in the Roman Empire. It's marvelous to see. I love warfare, even though I don't understand it. I would be the worst commander of an army in the history of the universe, but I love to watch these things. And he shows you time and again where a person will lose heart in a battle or somebody will die that was important and everybody just flees. Boz's battles, watch them. They're very interesting. Therefore, only the men of valor were to go. And more, verse 19, but your wives, your little ones, and your livestock. Rather than saying a portion of your men, your wives, and your little ones, Moses leaves off those men who would not join in the battles. Instead, he only notes the wives, little ones, and livestock. The word tough or little ones normally means small children. They are those who require special protection. 
Here, he is certainly extending it to any who are defenseless. It could be that by using these three examples of helplessness, he is truly looking to cut out any who are cowards. If they were to be included among those three groups, they were certainly not wanted in the battles for Canaan. As men rotated in and out of the battle, it would be a note for the men to remember and willingly volunteer to join the forces in Canaan rather than being left out during the entire campaign and face the shame of having failed to join the conquest. You can see what Moses is doing, can't you? This is especially so because of what was originally said to the leaders of these two tribes when they proposed receiving their inheritance outside of Canaan. This is Numbers 32. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. And look, you have risen in your father's place a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him... He will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. The implication at that time was that they were a bunch of cowards. Once that issue was resolved, and with that still on Moses' mind, one can see why he is so specific in his words now. And that underlying tone continues with the following words. Verse 19 going on, I know that you have much livestock. Here's the center of the chiasm and it's a parenthetical thought. Why would Moses say that? When these tribes came forward to make their initial proposal, there was a heavy stress on the word mikne, or livestock. It is the tone for the entire passage to be understood. They had a lot of livestock, and they used that as their excuse to stay in the land east of the Jordan. Here's what it said there. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock. See, he keeps saying livestock, livestock. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Atorot, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliale, Shebam, Nebo, and Beon. The country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have much livestock. With that memory still fresh on his mind, Moses recalls their words and returns them to their ears. How he conveys his words is not known. It could have been in a comical way, as if the whole misunderstanding was cleared up and he was jokingly stating, I know you have much livestock, as if everything was forgiven and he's just... Or it could be that he really thought that they were cowards, and so it is subtly reminding them of that. I know that you have much livestock... If the latter is correct, and it seems likely based on his inclusion of this now, then his note concerning the wives, children, and livestock were to forever remain a pricking reminder in their minds that they needed to man up and conduct themselves as such henceforth. This is especially so because the chiasm centers on the idea of their livestock. It appears to be an emphasis that is to be taken to heart and remembered as a point of shame, which would spur them on to act with bravery in the battles to come. My father told me something when I was young that I have never forgotten. Most of the heroes of the wars after the Civil War did not come from the North. In World War I, in World War II, in the Vietnam War, they came from the South because they bore the shame of having lost in that war. 
And this is exactly what's being presented to us right now. Moses is reminding them of that right now. Either way, of the defenseless ones, Moses says that they, verse 19 continues, shall stay in your cities, which I have given you. Again, the words are conditional. Moses has only given them the cities if they fulfill the commitment they had promised before the Lord. There would be a sufficient number of people to have all of the land cared for, protected, and for rotation of troops in and out of the battle. All they needed to do was to act in accord with the promise. In verse 18, it said, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. Now Moses says, Your cities which I have given you. The word of Moses is the word of law. Unless his words were directed through him by the Lord, it would be a wholly inappropriate statement to make. But rather than inappropriate, one can see the uniting of the word of the Lord with the spoken word of Moses, the prophet of the Lord. The thought concerning the conditional nature of Moses' words is next brought right to the forefront, verse 20, until the Lord has given rest. The word until is given to remind them that they were under obligation to participate in the campaign all the way until the end. However, it is also a note of surety that it will happen. The words until the Lord can only mean that the Lord has purposed and thus it will come to pass. And more, the thought continues with until the Lord has given rest. Not only will the endeavor come to pass, but it will end with a set result. The Lord will give nuach or rest as the completion of the campaign that is yet to begin. And that state of rest will be, verse 20 continues, to your brethren as to you. They had received their inheritance, and with their inheritance, they had received their rest. However, the men of war were not to rest until the other tribes of Israel were also given the same. That is next noted with the words of verse 20 continuing, and they also possess the land. Here the word yaresh, or to inherit, is used again, as it was in verses 12 and 18. Canaan is their inheritance, and when it is subdued, they will have their rest in the land. The thoughts are united as one. Possessing the land is to possess the inheritance, and possessing the inheritance is to obtain the rest. For all of the other tribes, Moses says that their rest would come from possessing the land, verse 20 continues, which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. There is a unity of thought in the words of these verses. It's said both in verse 18 and here, the Lord your God. Remember that chiasm. However, in verse 20, it said, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren. The Lord is also the Lord of those on the other side of the Jordan. And again, in verse 3-8, it spoke of defeating the enemies be'ever ha-yarden, or inside the Jordan. We would say on the side of the Jordan, but the Hebrew says inside the Jordan, while speaking of the eastern side. In this verse, it again says be'ever ha-yarden, or inside the Jordan, while speaking of the western side. The Lord is the Lord of both sides, and he is the Lord of both groups. There is one Israel on the side of the Jordan, regardless of which side it is. And the inheritance for each side is given to both by the Lord. For those on the eastern side, once those in Canaan had obtained their possession, verse 20 continues, then each of you may return to his possession. The conditional nature of the promise is again seen in these words. The inheritance is granted, but only through obedience to the word. For those on the other side, no such note is stated. All it says is that if they cross the Jordan, the Lord will give them the land to possess. 
the inheritance is assured by simply faithfully trusting in the Lord. Is anybody seeing a pattern here? For those who are to receive their inheritance east of Canaan, they must follow the command of Moses. In their obedience to his word, they may then return each to his possession. Verse 20 finishes with, which I have given you. Again, it is Moses who says that he has given the possession to them. In verse 18, it said that the Lord had given them rest, but it was through Moses that this came about. After the land of promise was subdued, they returned to where they had settled. That is recorded in Joshua 22, and it again says that Moses gave them the land. Here's what it says there. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents into the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. What this is certainly telling us is that man has been given an inheritance from the Lord. All men including and especially Israel. But one inheritance is of the law and one is of the promise. One is earthly and one is heavenly. Only those of promise, whether Jew or Gentile, will receive the Lord's inheritance, meaning the heavenly inheritance. This is why there is stress on Moses being the one to give the inheritance to those outside of the land of promise. They had to earn their inheritance, and it is only an earthly one. However, those destined for the land of promise are granted it through simply believing the Lord and trusting in his work to receive what is offered. The chiasm which spans these last three verses clearly shows us this. What is it that you here in this church today are listening on streaming right now? What is it that you are looking for? Is it livestock and worldly wealth? Is that what you want? You'll have to earn that. But if it is a heavenly inheritance, then you must receive it by faith in the Lord. The two stand in opposition one to another. Israel is Israel. They are the same group on either side of the Jordan, but only some of Israel will inherit the promise. And for those Gentiles who come to the Lord by faith, they are brought into the commonwealth of Israel to receive the same heavenly inheritance that Israel, the Israel of God, will receive. The verses are clearly laid out for us to see this, and we must pay heed to what we have seen and heard today. You can be granted an inheritance through law and be separate from the inheritance of the Lord. Or you can cross the Jordan, come through Christ, and receive the land of promise by a simple act of faith. Choose wisely and be sure to choose quickly. Life is a passing vapor and then it is gone. Come to Christ and receive that which is already waiting for those who are willing to do so. Everybody got the picture? Everybody see it? If that chiasm, if I didn't find that the passage would not have made as much sense. But once you see these patterns in there, they highlight to you what's going on in the text. It's there for a reason. Those things have been in there for 3,500 years and nobody's found them. And then all of a sudden, somebody finds one and they post it out on the chiasm board on somewhere on the internet. I don't go to that board personally. I just find my own and post them on the website. But they're there to teach you things, these literary patterns. There are other patterns as well, parallelism, and there's you know just all kinds of patterns in the Bible. But these will give you a certain amount of information, and they always come back to one thing, always. They come back to Jesus. It may not be explicit, but it is there. Jesus is the one who gives us the inheritance. 
if you're not in the inheritance, then you are somewhere else, right? You must come through Jesus, cross the Jordan into the land of promise. He is the descender. He left heaven, Mount Hermon. He went down to the Dead Sea. And in the middle, you must pass through. You must come through the life of Jesus Christ in order to receive the heavenly inheritance. Otherwise, this is your inheritance right now. And I would tell you something that may sound a little bit mean, but it's a rather crummy inheritance. I don't care if you're a king in a palace. This is a crummy inheritance. You're going to get old. You're going to start falling apart. You're going to die. Okay? The world that the Lord has given us is beautiful. We have to appreciate the majesty and the splendor of the butterfly and of the waterfall and of all the things that he has done for us. But these bodies cannot endure to appreciate him very long. This is, for us, it's a rather poor inheritance. But this is what most people want. This is what people seek after. Just walk around and see people buying stuff willy-nilly with their, their COVID-19 money. Instead of just saving it for the future and maybe saving something for their children, they're just buying junk at Walmart that'll be thrown in the garbage in two minutes. This is the world we live in. Please get your priorities straight. Open your Bible. Read the word. Let it sink into you. And above all else, call on Jesus Christ. The gospel is so simple. He died for your sins. He was buried and he was resurrected. And this is what God asks you to believe. If you believe it and if you confess that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says it is done. You are saved. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, at that moment, he seals you with the Holy Spirit of promise. It is a guarantee. It is wonderful what he has done. Please call on Jesus today. Our closing verse comes from Galatians 3, verses 16 through 18. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which we've been looking at, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. In other words, God made a promise to Abraham of the coming seed. That is the promise. This is why at the beginning I started with the covenants of the promise. There's one promise. Abraham received that promise. And what did he do? It says that Abraham believed and the Lord credited to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, verse 6. The promise is through faith. The law comes in. It cannot negate the promise. That's what Paul is saying right here. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. The law cannot negate the promise, and therefore, when he spoke of the promise being Christ, it is Christ that saves and not the law. That is the lesson that we have seen in every sermon since they turned from Canaan, the south of Canaan, and had been in the wilderness, and they're coming towards the land of promise, and they're sitting out there, and they're having these battles, and all of this is picturing the Jews of today, Israel of today, waiting to enter the land of promise that the Gentiles have been streaming to for 2,000 years. It is marvelous, but it's a sad story at the same time. This group of people that God has loved and cared for for so long. Next week is Deuteronomy 3, 21 through 29. I'm getting tired of this chatter. It's entitled, Speak No More to Me of This Matter. That'll be our 11th Deuteronomy sermon. Moses once again rubs the Lord, asking him to let me into the land. I'm sorry, it's not going to work that way. You have to fulfill the picture. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you, but he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. So follow him and trust him 
and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I've got a question for you. Let's do this before we go on. Okay. This is hard if you can't remember these things, and I never can, but it's a very easy one if you can remember these things. What book and chapter, what book and chapter does Paul note that we have become dead to the law through the body of Christ? Those exact words. We have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Romans 8, minus 1. You get a Maserati. Romans 7. Very good. It's Romans 7, 1 through 6. If you, let's go read it right now. Seeing as how we got time, we're going to go to Romans 7, 1 through 6. Once again, we're really done quickly today, and I don't want people to get gypped on their, uh, I don't want any more emails saying that I gypped them on their time. They want a long church service. We're going to have another 30 minutes. Okay. Okay, Romans 7. We're going to read that right now. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. You forget that, Miss Garrett. Okay. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of of the letter. Isn't that wonderful? Thank yes. God for Jesus Christ. What is wrong with those Hebrew roots people? Yeah, those Hebrew yeah. roots people, man, just yeah. ignoring the glory of what God has done in Christ, and they're going to stand outside of the promise, and they're going to receive their condemnation for what they have done. It's very sad. I got a poem for you. It's called, Until the Lord is Given Rest. And this land, which we possessed at that time, from Aurora, which is by the river Arnon, and all its sites... And half the mountains of the Gilead and its cities I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argov with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. So the people did say, Jair the son of Manasseh took all the region of Argov as far as the border of the Geshrites and the Maakathites, yes, in the direction that way, and called Bashan after his own name, Havot Jair, to this day. Also, I gave Gilead to Machir, lots of land for sheep to shear. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon. The middle of the river is the border as far as the river Jabok, the border of the people of Ammon. The plain also with the Jordan as the border from the Kinneret as far as the east side of the Sea of the Arava, the Salt Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah, a land spacious and wide. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. So to you I tell, all you men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, yes, it is true, shall stay in your cities, which I have given you, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you. And they also possess the land, which the Lord your God has giving them beyond the border. Yes, when they do. Then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. 
Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful story, this revealing story of a couple of tribes looking for their inheritance on one side of the promise, but being willing to help the others as they go across and enter into the land of promise. It's hard for us to understand why somebody would want an earthly inheritance when there is so much glory that lies ahead. We can't even comprehend it at this point, but we trust that it's coming because we trust that you have sent Jesus. And we're certain of that in our hearts. He's done this for us so that we can be reconciled to you. Thank you, Lord God, for Christ Jesus. Thank you for our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's see here. Jim got a Maserati minus one chapter, but that's okay. Nobody else even answered. So uh, I tell you, it's hard when you put a question to people. Their brains are seized all of a sudden. It happens to me all the time, so I understand. I, I completely I knew it understand. Was Romans. I had, to. had to be Romans. Had to be Romans. Uh, oh, yeah, that would have been good. Romans 35. That's one of the best ch chapters I never did read. Uh, that's right up with the book of Hezekiah. Yes. All right.